I'm always trying to learn every year new things and never stop being in the learner position. I think that should never end in, in my lifetime, that I'm learning something new. This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christian Susan. Let's learn together what matters most in life. Today, we are speaking with Berlin-born serial entrepreneur Frederick Fleck. Over the last 20 years, he has built startups from the ground up and led them to successful exits. He's also passing on his knowledge about entrepreneurship and scaling companies to startups and young entrepreneurs, whom he supports as a business angel. Our conversation today evolves about taking risks and what it really is that one has to lose when doing so. Frederick is sharing with us that whenever he starts a new company, he doesn't even think of it as a risky undertaking. Instead of being afraid of losing money or reputation around investing in startups, he says he would be rather afraid of needing to get himself a job. You will hear from Frederick in this episode how he from early on has been led by his that I can do myself and maybe even a little better mindset. When he was 17 years old, he set up the entire IT system for his father's office, who's a lawyer. Also, he's talking about how he sets himself a learning agenda. I'm always trying to learn something new every year and never stop being in the learner position. It should never end in my lifetime that I'm learning something new, he says. We also hear how he found his why and where he stands in terms of the legacy that he wants to leave behind, wondering if this should be money at all or if he wanted to pass on just values and principles. We are excited to have you as our guest on Before It's Too Late Today, Frederick Fleck. Hello, Frederick. Great to have you on Before It's Too Late Today. Thanks, Christiane. Great to be on your show. Frederick, you are based in Berlin right now, um, almost two years into COVID. Which of the many things that changed both economically and societally do you think will be a permanent change? We have so many changes, right? But I would be really curious to learn from you what you think will be a permanent change. You know, I think what I appreciate the most is what we are actually doing right now. You being in New York, me being in Berlin, and we can work together, collaborate on, on, on this great show. And we have this freedom to work and be anywhere in the world. Um, also, um, on, a, on the business side, even before COVID, I, I worked like um, two to three days out of the home office. But besides... Uh, My teams I were working together directly with. I still had to fly down to meetings somewhere with big corporates and everything. And now everybody accepts the reality of video conferencing and other remote work solutions. And I think this is um, a permanent thing. Once people discover the freedom they're having with that, they don't want to go back to like a office-based culture. Oh, that's so interesting. And what do you think does that mean for 
the relationship between employers and uh, employees? I, I think that's a very key part. You know, um, lots of my friends out of the Berlin startup ecosystem, they are having the office space, they are leasing, sometimes returning the office is going to a completely remote culture. But I think there's a big difference between just allowing your teams to work from home or being efficient in, in, in working from home. So one of the companies I'm invested in, um, they've already started five years ago to change to a complete work from home culture, but they implement a lot of processes um, in, in that the relationship between the employees and employer and employed um, stay on a strong founding. So for example, they go once a quarter with the entire team, which is based around the world, on a one-week vacation, where they fly to a nice beach destination, um, spend the daytimes working together, and in the evenings partying and getting to know each other. So I think that will be a big shift where people want that freedom. Employers often grant it as well, but they need to find different ways to establish the same culture they had previously. That is very interesting. I hear that actually for the first time that you really do not only do hybrid work models, like as you said, two weeks from home, two days from home and three days in the office or the, the other way around, uh, but also really taking into account what can what cannot be achieved by remoteness, right? So getting to know each other and really building a culture still needs the physical appearance of people. Frederick, you are a serial entrepreneur since a long time. And you and I met when we worked together for a couple of years for an interactive TV channel funded by ISC. And I've known you always as this very innovative entrepreneurial spirit. You're now focusing on software and technology. Since over 20 years, you have built startups from the ground and led them to successful exits. When you build these companies from scratch, you obviously take the highest possible risk of failure. How does that connect to who you are? It's actually quite interesting. It's not how I see it. When people ask me about risks and risks I'm taking, I've never seen myself really taking a risk. Because what what should happen worst case? My well, company fails and I have to start the next one. But, uh, you know, it's not in, in a sense that, you know, I, I would lose my life or anything like that. So I've never seen myself as a big as a risk taker. I've more thought about it with an I can do that too attitude you know um, from the very first startup I, I've done during my high school times it was always okay others can do that I can do that too sometimes I had some ideas how to innovate things and do them a little bit better but I haven't really thought much about risk now with retro perspective I, I can see that that is a risk taking and a deviation from 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 the norm, but uh, with digital 
assets um, you can basically start from scratch and just put your time into it and don't have to buy like a factory like they used to take for my opinion real risk when you take out a hundred million loan and um, start a factory like they had to do like 100 years ago yeah that's so interesting because you are in fact taking a high risks you you're you 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 might lose a lot of money you might lose your reputation as a successful entrepreneur right the, all these factors i think play a role when you are taking risks and also in fact it's a it's a cultural thing so um there's a study that in germany for example 50% of those people who say they would not they would choose not to become an entrepreneur do that because out of fear of failure whilst in the us obviously that is not so much the case actually at least one failure in your cv or in your bio is a really important thing because you can learn so much from failure would you agree also that one basically learns more from failing at some projects or startups than succeeding I think most, even of my most successful projects have gone through phases which were very close to failure. Um, <laughs> really? If, how how come? What, what, what did you do to, to, to turn that? You know, different, different setups. For example, the first company um, I was involved with here in Berlin was started in 2000 in the very height of the first dot-com wave, uh, VCs were, you know, chasing us down, trying to give us more money. And uh, we built a huge platform, which was very unfocused, uh, had too many categories. It wasn't clear for the customer what the company stands for. And a year later, um, the new market, the kind of tech um, index in Germany collapsed and we couldn't find any, any money. And we were very close to being um, bankrupt. So with the little money we had left, we focused on just one category which was organically growing and that was in the category which got us to success. You know, looking back at that, I understand our mistakes we've been doing with being unfocused and only through this tight crunch of financing, I think we turned the corner. If that hadn't been the case, we probably would have raised more money and just chased down the same rabbit hole rabbit hole and uh, five or ten years later would have done the failure so i agree with you that failure and difficult times can be a huge learning opportunity for a german frederick taking high risks is rather an unusual trait so where is your entrepreneurial spirit really coming from do you think one can learn such an attitude and mindset or do you think you're born with that so uh, my mother is, is uh, or has been uh, a teacher at grammar school and my father is a lawyer, so I haven't been born into an entrepreneurial family and indeed the culture around me wasn't very entrepreneurial. I actually started out my first company during high school when I discovered how much my father was charged for the new PC setup in his office and I said, oh, I can build the PCs myself and, and have half the cost and, and make, a, make a big margin out of it. And I was very <laughs> proud of my, I think, 
80,000 German marks at that time of, of revenue I did as a 17-year-old. Um, so I, I just somehow um, got started with that. But, you know, for my own personal story, coming to more like a global or at least German vision of it, you talked a bit earlier about kind of the fear and the fear of failing and that's keeping a lot of people from starting as an entrepreneur, their entrepreneurial journey. So I'm, I'm thinking about that at the moment a lot. I'm working at the moment on freelance management software and also freelancer. They are entrepreneurs in their own rights and doing the first step. But a lot of people are not doing it because they don't want to give up their safety of their own paycheck. So I'm thinking, what could we do to take away the risk? What if we would guarantee them an income of a decent size uh, for the first one or two years and encourage with that just finally taking that fear away and, and encourage entrepreneurship. I'm, I'm sure it would be even, you know, a very sound investment if you say and they have to repay it with a percentage of their company or whatever. Um, so uh, to finally take, take that fear away. That's a very interesting idea. And you yourself, Frederick, is there anything at all that you are afraid of? The thing which I was afraid of the most is having to get a normal job, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> it sounds funny, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, after I, I sold my startup in London, uh, just before the financial crash in 2007, 2008, um, I moved to the US and, and I started a few companies and also started as a business angel investment and had this classic J-curve effect with that. I mean, the write-offs in my portfolio came fast because if company hit the walls after two or three years and the exits, uh, the successful ones, took like seven years or more in the making. So I had a phase of like seven years where I uh, my net worth was reduced and... Uh, I only invested and I was always counting with my wife, okay, how many years do we have left before I need to get a job? And that's kind of was always the wall I didn't want to face that uh, I had to, to go through. But to be honest, again, I, it's not a real risk because, you know, there can be also great jobs out there, but that's what I was afraid of. So did you ever had a, a traumatic experience being a um, an employee or why is that such a horrible vision for you? Do, is it just very difficult for you to do what somebody else tells you to do or what's behind that fear? I think I was in, in the lucky situation that even in the cases where I, I worked employed, I was in very entrepreneurial setups and could develop my department and teams in an entrepreneurial spirit. I, I think it's more this thought of the traditional em employment where, you know, you just do what you have to told to, can't bring your ideas to fruition and, and, and just follow orders. I think that's the under underlying fear, which maybe other people say it's, it gives you safety and, and bit ease of the day because your day ends at five and you don't have to take anything in your evening or weekends. But having always worked in one way or another in entrepreneurial environments, um, I think that's kind of what I was dreading, this kind of what I consider cl classical employment. Mm. What do you love to learn? Actually, um, I'm with an organization which called 
EO, Entrepreneur Organization. And a few years ago, I learned from a friend there, he was always setting himself a learning agenda every day. And I have to say that inspired me so much that every year I now set up my learning agenda. And it can, can be all over the place. Like two, three years ago, I realized that I cannot properly swim. You know, in Germany, we only learn the breaststroke and never the so elegant freestyle. So I set myself the learning agenda and spent a half year with a very challenging triathlon trainer to learn the proper freestyle. Then another year I was wanted to look into private equity as an investment class and spend a couple of days in the London Business School. Um, at the moment, um, you know, I'm trying to find out how meditation works for me. Um, I tried kind of the traditional meditation retreat, tried the apps and actually found out that in the morning under the shower is kind of for me the most meditative experience I'm having. So I'm always trying to learn every year new things and never stop being in the learner position. I think that should never end in, in my lifetime that I'm learning something new. Amazing. I love that. Um, that reminds me, didn't you also take flying lessons at some point in time? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, that, that was in, in, in London. Um, I, I, if I wasn't challenged enough by building uh, a company in a very um, fast-moving space, I somehow said, oh, I need to fulfill my dream of learning to fly and did that in London, which with five major airports and I think 15 or so smaller airports around us, I think is the most challenging flying environment. But it helped me at that time. I, I was so wired with my startup, I couldn't just sh shut off and go to the beach. But uh, flying, you know, my uh, instructor uh, told me that uh, mistakes in aviation different than in startups tend to be fatal. And therefore, you really have to shut off with everything else when, when you're flying. So um, it was also a very, not, not meditative experience, but helped me a lot to um, balance, basically, uh, my mind. Mm, yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about technology, since you are so much in, in that space with your investments. We have entered the age of exponential technology and even more so the question between the right relationship between technology and humanity comes to the table. Do you think technology in all areas of our lives will eventually erase all what is truly human, such as common sense, multitasking, And also something like making mistakes and asking for forgiveness, stuff like that. So all the stuff that makes us truly human. Yeah, it's quite interesting to look at that in, in different phases. You know, traditional development of, of the web and, and, and code is, is still basically following instructions which somebody has initially coded in, 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 into the software. With the rise of AI, machine learnings, we are seeing basically systems and setups which go beyond the in, in inventor's uh, understanding. But it's still all around uh, that part which are, uh, I would consider as a rational part, like, like common sense, um, the multitasking part. What it 
doesn't cover is kind of the emotional part, um, learning from mistakes, a lot of those things we've talked uh, earlier about that I would consider um, human traits. Maybe a machine can learn about a classification problem. Let, let's say an car autopilot um, can't distinguish between a tree and a mailbox, and then you train it and it learns over time. So learning from those kind of mistakes, I can see. But truly going into yourself and reflecting about your personality and developing yourself, what is kind of the true human nature around that, I think there will be elements which stay true for humankind. And that's, I think, what's so key. Uh, starting, you know, in elementary school with my kids, um, going on to university and things to train people not as we've done a long time ago, like for hundreds of years, the education system focus on making smart factory and office workers and learning a lot of knowledge, which the next day might not be um, you know, up to date anymore. I think we need to focus more on about those human skills, relations between them, interdependent uh, project works, things like that to prepare the next generation um, for what will even more be human. Is there a skill that you think is the single most important skill for the next generation, for our children to learn? I think it's all what has to do with interaction between humans. You know, how can we connect? How can we form deep, meaningful relationships? Because once we have that set up, we can form teams and build new things together. If they are going down that route, the more encyclopedic knowledge which you can look up online, I think they don't need to learn that. Obviously, they need to have a certain understanding where they are in the world and, and context with history and things like that. But other than a basic layer, I think it's more important to, to focus on, on those interpersonal skills. Oh, that is so true. I can very much relate to that, Frederick. So let me ask you, what's your advice you give to your children? You have two wonderful daughters. I think the main advice I, I, I trying to pass along being risk takers, you know, and that doesn't not only have to be being risk takers as entrepreneurs, but also trying new things out, um, going off the beaten track. We, we always, you know, try to put it in context and, you know, is it safe to do so? So I don't obviously don't want them overly endangered. Um, can anybody, other humans be harmed by that? But otherwise, what's the harm? Why not just try out to do it and, and take that risk? And what gives you the greatest satisfaction at this point in life? Yeah, I spent quite some time the last year or two. I sold my um, biggest uh, software startup, Test.io, two years ago. And after taking a wonderful sabbatical in Singapore, to be honest, I was struggling a little bit what to do next, where, where to focus on. And I worked a lot on, on my why. You might know that Simon Sinek put that together. And what I defined for my why is finding extraordinary paths to create and grow something. And that helped me a lot of clarity. I'm also doing a lot of 
Business Angel Investment and love uh, the support which I can give to fresh entrepreneurs. But I've decided that that's not fulfilling me completely. That I couldn't do that full time. I still want my myself to be creative, find solutions uh, for for new startups, and I love this phase where you start out with an idea or can be you know small product already and you build that up to something which you know is known around the world and a lot of uh, people can interact with and and find the benefit of that those those growth phases and and the creativity which grows into that gives me a lot of satisfaction amazing i can even hear the energy coming through the internet when you were talking about what satisfies you most That's great, Frederick. So here's the question I am asking each of my guests. Um, and it is about legacy. Do you know already the legacy you want to leave behind other than money from successful exits? Yeah, that's actually the one question I haven't found yet an answer for. For, for many years of my life, I, I don't know, considered myself too young or too busy to even contemplate um, this question. Um, I, th I think by now it's a relevant question, which I would like to find an answer to, because I think it's very important. Um, I'm also thinking about that part, do I even want to pass on money um, to also touch on, on that part, um, mm. or should I just... Uh, pass on values and, and principles. Um, but besides that, I think there should be something in addition to that. But I find it awfully hard to think about it. And for me, you know, what you read in books, like somebody, I don't know, donating a hospital wing and putting their name on, that just doesn't resonate with me. But I think I, I want to find an answer uh, to that and, and spend some more time reflecting on it and Uh, would be very interesting to learn more about how other people are also solving these questions for themselves. I truly appreciate your honesty uh, with which you are answering this question, Frederick, because it is a difficult question indeed. And not everybody has, has a very clear answer to it. And also, obviously, it's a process, an evolving process. Um, But given your level of reflectiveness and consciousness, I'm sure you will be finding an answer to this. And then we can do another conversation. How about that? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Christian. It's actually very good encouragement to spend some more time working on the answer for that one. It's been great to have you as my guest today on Before It's Too Late. Thank you, Christian. It was wonderful. I really enjoyed this profound conversation and I hope you did too. For more episodes of Before It's Too Late, make sure to subscribe. If this episode spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening. <laughs>